Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. Welcome back to Defining Boundaries. I hope you enjoyed part one of my chat with Craig. Are you ready for part two? If so, grab your drink, sit back and relax while we continue to chat. Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries. I'm back again with Craig Sandy to have a second chat about the surveying industry and uh, where he thinks we should be going. Welcome back, Craig. Thanks, Peter. It's, uh, hasn't part been too two. long. Yeah, part two hasn't been too long since we uh, had a chat, but uh, I know that you've got uh, plenty, plenty to chat about. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you've been very busy. You were just saying before to me before offline, so that's always a good thing. Yeah, towards the end, I may even give you a scoop. Oh, okay. Better stay uh, stay on the line for that one, guys. Uh, all right, so I'll jump into our questions. Uh, we've got a few, and I'm sure we'll go off on tangents, uh, as I have with plenty of other people lately who like to have a chat. Um, I would like to start, you touched on a few things last time we were talking about. We talked about community, um, we talked about initiatives, things that you're doing uh, within your service, your um, land registry service and all that sort of stuff. So I'll start with um, initiatives for attracting students to surveying. Um, we kind of touched on a few things and I know that Victoria has been doing some interesting things down there as well. Do you, would you like to walk me through a few of the things that are happening and things that you would like to see happen? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a member of the surveying task force in Victoria. Mm -hmm. uh, I joined uh, earlier this year. So previously, the professional and industry organisations and the universities were the members. Land Use Victoria had been a significant financial um, sponsor, I guess, but had never had a participatory role in the committee. And so mm -hmm. this year we, we joined as a, a full participant. Uh, so there's, there's a couple of things why we did that. Uh, one, one is that... Um, we, we think the work they've done over 10 years has been excellent, but we think there needs to be more of a focus on the diversity and inclusion aspects. Yeah. We, we want a surveying profession that reflects our community. Mm -hmm. uh, so th there's some things that we probably need to do a little differently to try and attract a, a broader range of students into the, into the surveying degree courses. And so uh, we, we're going to have a new direction I'll say we're going to have a new direction because we've got a new chair. So Jerry, who'd been there for five or more years, is now retired and stepped aside. And, and George Avarkas uh, has come on as the new chair. And wow. so he's got some ideas. Um, he, he's been involved with the National Alliance, which is, in effect, surveying task force from across the country, getting together and working out how we can leverage working nationally rather than doing things in each individual jurisdiction yeah so, okay so that's the task force that um acs is involved in and national new south wales, wales. Yep. yeah yeah yep. okay yeah they've been doing a few things up here that i've been involved in as well so that's good so get I've, it national yeah so i've joined that national alliance mm -hmm. uh, to represent victoria with george 
Uh, and there's some things that we're looking at. So for instance, um, the, the branding. So we've had the, the life without limits yeah. um, and that's been going for a while and, that, and that's, that's had some success. Um, in other areas, not so successful. So we want to understand why and what we need to do with that. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to have a look at our social media platforms and how we're utilising them, whether they're working, what are the, the key uh, areas that potential students go to look for information on careers and how to target those. Uh, we get, you know, when you have a look at some of the research that's been done by various organisations, it's actually interesting the, the ways that students try and find what they want to do for a career. And one of the key ones is that they go to student or they go to uh, career counsellors. Yeah. So it means if career counsellors don't understand what surveying is about, then they can't advise students that that's a good career for them. When I went to my uh, student or career counsellor a long while ago, they had no idea about surveying. Yeah. And I would think that's probably still the case for many, many of them even now. They probably know about engineering architecture, but I would be surprised they know about surveying. So yeah. uh, that's something that we need to do is um, get more involvement with them, you know, make our profession attractive, have things that they can give to students, what, whatever it is we need to do, um, mm -hmm. we, we've, we've got to do that work. Yeah. So we have yeah. in, in Sydney, um, the Maths in Surveying Day. Um, I think it's Ian Idale and with, along with the consulting surveyors and stuff that, that have these days where uh, the kids, you know, some kids come in and do these maths tasks with the instruments and calculations and all this kind of stuff. Do you have anything like that down in Victoria? Yes, we do. Uh, I, I can't tell you all the, the things we do, but I know that there, there's various days where students can come in and try things, use the equipment. Yeah. Uh, there's also careers expos where main mm. task force members go and, and talk to students, take yeah. equipment. Part of the key is that when you go to those, always drag along a young surveyor because they don't want to talk to the older ones. <laughs> if you put a young surveyor on there, they're probably likely to talk to them. If you've got the old guys on there, less likely. So yeah, I, I think the key for us is that we've, we've got to do things that make it attractive. So if that means we've got to take long drones or robotics or, you know, what, you know, the, um, I'm trying to think what it's called, but it's, it's basically the automated robotic uh, field assistant who drives along and, oh, yes. and all that sort of stuff. You know, we've got to take those, those gadgets and things to attract people and go, this looks interesting. And if mm. you do that, then you have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, do you think that, uh, I know that, uh, you know, I've had this discussion with Narelle and, you know, she's really into, you know, the task force and everything as well, but also, and we'll talk about this a little bit later is, um, she actually attended a primary school where I think it was like year two or year three kids and she did a little talk and she said she actually got more questions and more information, like giving more information out to the littler kids who were so in awe of, of these tools that you give a bit more of an impression earlier in life so that they actually think back in high school, oh, I remember when, um, you know, this lady came and spoke to me or whatever it may be. And then they hit the, you know, their mind starts ticking again. Um, so a few years ago, a number of us, and Narelle was probably one of them, had the opportunity to go to primary schools and talk about the transit of Venus. And, and you know, I went to, the, to a primary school and had 150 primary school kids sitting there listening about the transit of Venus and what they were going to see and what it meant and, why surveyors are, are able to see it and know where it is and when it's going to happen and all those things. And you're right, that they have a lot more questions. You go to the high school kids and they don't want to be seen to not look yeah. cool, so they don't ask questions. 
and if you're lucky, a couple of them might come up to you at the end and go, "Yeah, I'm actually interested in that." So yeah, yeah, it's it's good going out to primary schools. It's it's yeah. something we we need to do more often, and certainly in terms of the unconscious bias, it's something that you know people like Narelle are ideal to to go out and say, "Well, this is what a surveyor looks like." Mm. Yeah, yeah, because I, I know that. Um you know, my local high schools and stuff like that, that, you know, me having the TAFE background and everything, I was always trying to um, let the careers advisor know that something was happening or, you know, that sort of stuff. And um, one day I managed to get um, Andrew Dade from, he was at GSRF, not anymore, but um, he went and spoke at the school, but you know, it's one surveyor that does a little talk and, you know, they sort of leave the school again and you sort of go, what, yeah, what can you do to attract these these kids to, to the industry? Yeah, so I guess the challenge we've got is there's probably more schools than surveyors and so yeah. how do we get coverage? Yeah. And so, you know, we, we, we sort of do the ones where you've got volunteers willing to do it or, or where people call us to do it and the rest don't get any coverage and so we've just got to find better ways yeah. and I guess that's where programs like she maps and get kids into survey uh come into it so have you, oh. I'm, not sure you, I'm not sure if you've seen the Pippa and Droney books that she maps do no I haven't sorry I'm just having a little giggle I just saw your wife in the background there <laughs> she's sitting listening to me she wanted to listen I'm just I have actually seen those books. Yes, I have seen them. I haven't read them or anything, but I have seen them. So, so those sorts of things are, are really simple and, and easy ways mm. to start to give kids ideas about what they might do as a career. So, you know, I love this book because, you know, there's a couple of my colleagues in there. So if you oh. met Renee Bartolo from Darwin, who works right. for Supervising Scientists. Yeah. So she's featured in here where she's going out to um, to do some work in monitoring uh, the rehabilitation work at Ranger Uranium Mine and various things like that in Kakadu National Park. Uh -huh. um, when I first got the book, I didn't know all the things that were in it. And, you know, this particular scientist goes out and collects whale snot with a drone so that they can analyse <laughs> it, see the health of the whale. So, so these are fabulous, and the, the good thing is that it's, it's big text, it's easy to read, it's designed for kids between about 6 and 10. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe the reading's a bit high, maybe it's 8 and 10. Yeah. But it's got coloured pictures, good stories, they're short stories, and, yeah, yeah so, so those sorts of things can actually get to lots of children. Yeah, so and so the she maps is that, um, she, obviously that's Australian, is it? Yeah, Dr. Karen Joyce and her husband, Paul Mead. Right, okay. Um, so they've put this together. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is that, um, that they've got a program that is called the SheMaps Workshops where they get um, children in and they take them through the various things that drones can do. So they get them to program the drones, they get them to do activities. Part of that is aerial photography. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole range of activities. And the good thing is at the end of that, they get the parents in to see what their children can do. And mm -hmm. I, I sponsored a staff member to go and help out. And I was sitting at the back, just listening to the parents and they're going, Look at that. I would have never realised my daughter could program a drone. Yeah. And not only were they programming it, they were programming it to do a dance routine with the uh. girl. So, you know, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the sponsorship we're looking at doing with SheMaps, 100 books go out to a school. It comes with teacher, um, teacher uh, learning presentation notes and, and material that they can use to to teach with it in the school. Mm -hmm. So they get everything they need. Uh, the SheMaps people arrange virtual sessions where someone from the sponsoring organization can do a reading with some of the kids. Um, yeah, it's mm. it's an interesting way to, to highlight what we do in, in simple means and simple terms that kids can understand. 
Yeah. 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 No, it sounds like it. Um, and that's like, so, um, so we have the she maps and then we also have the get, get kids into survey that was created by, um, Elaine Ball and her sister Ellie over in England. Um, that created the posters. It was basically how do we get, um, it was basically created, um, the cartoons were created in a sense to grab the attention of, of surveyors or, or older people and it's a, it's actually done, you know, a complete 180 and, and, and is now getting put out to all the, the, the younger kids and um, yeah. having all these companies from all over the world that are now ambassadors and um, promoting it and all that sort of stuff, which is really, really cool. Sponsoring characters. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, Surveyor General is doing the sponsoring, but we're going to create a character that is an Aboriginal heritage officer. Oh, wonderful. And so what they do is they actually use drones so that, that they, they work with us to get LIDAR and then they identify particular features and then they use the drone to go out and find the feature, photograph it. And then the rangers can actually go out and, and try and protect it or, or see where it is, photograph it and preserve it as, as much as they can. So, um, yeah, we're going to sponsor a character. The, there's a poster coming out at some point, which will be Indigenous themed. Yeah. And Excellent. so you'll, you'll see a, a DELT heritage officer on the poster, hopefully. Wonderful. Oh, that's yeah. great. So, you know, once again, it's a, it's a good tool for attracting children because it looks like a cartoon. There's little activities. It's mm. like the Where's Wally for surveying. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think, great initiative. Yeah. I, I think the good thing about these is that they're providing the resources for the teachers as well. It's yep. not just here's, here's a, a book or here's a poster or, a, you know, a comic or whatever it may be. Here's the actual resources to get the students to do the activities um, and actually learn about it as well without yeah, having it, to work it out it themselves. Helps teach because they understand what it's about. Mm. Yeah, that's, mm. it's good. So some of the other things that are out there, some so particular schools have outdoor education program where they include things like orienteering and, and various other aspects of, of mapping navigation and things. So mm -hmm. there's always an opportunity if we know that there are schools doing that, that we can go and support them and assist them. Yeah. Um, you know, th there's a whole range of things and it, it's really about surveyors just understanding what's happening in their local school. Being involved, it's not a huge amount of time. It, it might be a few hours a year, but just yeah. keep in touch with the schools, Have get the opportunity to go and speak when you can bring in the youngest surveyors every opportunity you get. Mm, yeah. Take I, along I, a couple of techno gadgets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they, even having, you know, a laser scanner or the, the robotic turtle station where it's, you know, sitting on your legs and all of a sudden it starts moving up and down and around and, and kids are just going, oh, wow. Yeah. Lights start flashing. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. The yeah, yeah. The moment you do that, you've got kids' attention. So you take in a drone and, yeah, you, you'll have their attention while the drone's there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the older kids, I just sort of wonder how how you get through to them. So I think if they, if they understand about the technology from a young age, because we're now dealing with, uh, older students who are in effect becoming, well, they're not becoming, they just are digital natives. Yeah. Things such as programming and doing things with apps on your phone just become second nature. So mm -hmm. whether it's driving a drone, a, a jigger, or an actual car from your your, your iPhone or your smartphone yeah. is, is just something that they are, are used to. They play their games or whatever it is. And so in effect, a lot of what we're doing is just an extension of their gameplay. You know, if their gameplay, I'm not into those sorts of games, but a lot of it is based on real world situations where they're navigating through, they're having to find things or do activities, whatever it is. But we're just translating that into a, a, a job at the end of it. And so it's, it's using any and all of those to say, you know, if these are the things you're interested in, then there's a career here because you can do the same thing 
that you do with your games in the real world to benefit our community. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I had a question from one of my listeners whose their question was, um, I would love to hear people's takes on the future of the industry. Where do I focus my attention? Artificial intelligence, augmented reality, drones, satellites, etc. So it's that, um, and I would say that my listener would probably he would probably be um, like late twenties, early thirties sort of thing, and he's really into you know the augmented reality type of and what's going on in there. So you're looking at that age, going okay, well he's thinking about that. He's a drafter in in the industry. Um, so how how is the surveying going to you know how it come into it with all of those different types of um things happening and 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 how do we how do we merge them into our community into our our industry um and get those kids who love to play these games go well actually some of what you're doing in your game has been created by a surveyor doing a scan or you know whatever it may be um I think it's so in the past, we've been focused predominantly on static type surveying. So mm. the, the things that we have been surveying don't move. Parcels of land, or when I say don't move, don't move a lot. Mm. So parcels of land, capturing of features, you know, all of those sorts of things. That the, the really the things that we really have captured most that move are generally, um, you know, it might be water natural feature boundaries whatever it is yeah you know those things move but not very fast I was at a presentation um, there was a landscape architect that had been invited to to speak I'll see if I can remember the lady's name it's a couple of years ago Mine's <laughs> a bit uh, and what she was talking about was that surveyors you know the early surveyors in Australia they would survey the land and a lot of them in their spare time would paint. Uh-huh. And it was from their paintings that you would see what the people were doing in the land. So if there were indigenous, you, you would see them painted in the landscape somewhere, or you would see a farmer doing something. And it mm. was, it was the painting that gave you an understanding of what people were doing at, in the environment where they were surveying. Yeah. Now, with the technology that we have, we can actually see what the people are doing in the environment. Almost, well, we can see it in in, in real time with the various um, sensors and devices we have, but we can actually capture that now. Yeah. And that's something that was never captured in the past. So, for mm-hmm. instance, when they look at doing designing and planning along a, a water a waterway or uh, at a coastal area, they see where people like to go and they go, right, people like to go here. So let's make this attractive to them. Let's design it so that it will bring people there to do the things they like to do. Mm. For instance, along the Yarra, they go and they sit down and they have lunch. They, they eat lunch in the sun looking at the river. Yeah. So when they, when they need to change it or they need to make it, you know, more amenable to what people are doing, then they can design it based on what the uses or the uses that they've seen people actually doing in those locations. So this is where things such as the laser scanning, the LIDAR and all those things come in because while those are still sort of a static capture, you can do that many times over a period of time and build up this in effect time series of, mm-hmm. of what's happening in those locations. And, and now with things such as smart city technology and digital twins, you can actually see the live footage of what is happening in a particular place. You can see the, the, the flow of people through a building or through a place or the, the flow of cars. So, yeah, you know, all of these things, it doesn't mean the surveyor is going to be doing all of it, but underneath it all is the cadastral information and the other data that we as surveyors capture. So... Yeah you know, have an understanding of what people are doing with it and then focus on how you can help them. That mm. the challenge with all of these things, and I, I, I was presenting at a conference and I heard a great com- comment from 
someone who wasn't a spatial professional is they, they said, yeah, we know that we've got GPS that we can push the button and get a coordinate and all these sorts of things. But we want the surveyor there to make sure that it's right for us. We, we don't want to have to do a, a coordinate transformation or we don't want to have to you know, ensure that the accuracy level is meeting our requirement. We want the surveyor to tell us that. That's their yeah, role. That's their job. So, so we just have to understand our role and realise that all these devices are not really a threat. They're actually an opportunity for more people to, to use technology that we use, but we are there to give them advice on what's appropriate, what the accuracy is, and how you deal with the spatial elements, such as mm. the coordinates, the time, and all those things. Yeah. I think maybe the biggest fear in, in the surveyors is that um, people are just going out and doing it and not um, not understanding the accuracies or, you know, that kind of stuff and just using it so they kind of feel that threat of of someone taking their job sort of thing, whereas they actually grabbed hold of that opportunity and say, well, yeah, okay, you are doing this, but you need to be aware of X, Y, Z um, yeah. and, and get get that foot in the door. Um, it would open up another world to them, I think. So I heard I heard a comment. This was from Paul Rhodes. I'll give him the credit for it. So Paul is currently the chair of the Council of Reciprocating Surveyors Board. He's he's from uh, Western Australia, and I'll give his company a plug. So he works for Verus. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yep. so, so he made he made one of the most succinct statements that a licensed surveyor should take with them all the time. Anyone can go out there with a device and try and work out where their boundary is. Yeah. The thing that makes a surveyor important is that we can determine where it is so that their neighbour is actually happy where it is. Yeah. The neighbour's probably not going to be happy where they put it, but they'll certainly be happy if someone independent like a surveyor says this is where it should be. Mm. And, and that is predominantly what we do. We ensure that the rights for every person involved in a land transaction or in a piece of land is protected and that includes the government mm. yeah there it's um i think that's where it kind of gets lost is that yeah we're here to define those boundaries or you know where your house sits and stuff but it is that protection of your land so coming back to the question, how, how does the technology change the way we do things? Technology is just a tool. Mm -hmm. Our main role is to be measurement experts, and that doesn't mean we have to be the one measuring it. It means that we understand what you need to do to get the accuracy of measurement for the job that you're doing and to give people advice on how to do that. But the, the key for us is providing the advice so we, we give advice on the measurement. We then give advice around the analytics and what we see and how that impacts what the, the client is wanting to do. And, and so we shouldn't be frightened by all these ways of capturing data. It just gives mm -hmm. us another opportunity to use our analytics skills and then to provide high quality advice. Yeah, quality. And that's our key role. And, the, 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 and this is getting to part of my pet peeve about people not wanting to change. If you ask a surveyor what they do, they go, I measure stuff. Well, if you're only measuring stuff, that's the technical aspect. The, you know, back when I started university, we had, we had a graduate, or not a graduate diploma, associate diploma, which trained people to do the technical components, which was the measure, the draw. The actual surveying was about understanding everything about it, understanding the theory behind it, understanding how to apply the error theory, un understanding how you give the advice and doing the professional aspects. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to do those technical aspects of the measuring. It means you have to analyze it, apply it to a problem and give good advice based on that. And that's mm -hmm. what we as a surveyor do. Yeah. And so if someone says my role is measuring, they're predominantly in the world of the technical officer. They're not in the world of the surveyor. Yeah. Interesting. I've actually I've heard someone say something similar to that, that um, having having that professional background of, 
of being able to yeah analyze critique give advice um at at that level that a technician hasn't learned how to do yeah so you know, people think going out and pegging a boundary is putting the four pegs in that's the physical technical aspect of doing a survey that the professional side of that is understanding the rights that have been created by previous surveys, determining the link between the documentary evidence and the physical features that are on the ground because our cadastre is monument base. Yeah. And then providing advice on the information and the evidence that you've got. And that's what gives us the uh, right to be called licensed, which is applying the principles of the evidence to make a determination. Now, there are very few professions that can make a determination like we can. And as most surveyors know, the only one that can turn over our determination is a judge. So we, we actually have, in terms of land law, we, we're actually um, you know, making a legal determination when we make a, a boundary re-establishment or re reinstatement as some some states call it so or redefinition so so that's that's where as a professional we we have you know a a, an ability to make a a determination and a judgment that few professionals get to make Mm. and Mm. that to me is is the essence of what surveyors are and yet 99 percent of people don't understand that yeah and so that's part of my communication and why a focus of the SGV strategy is communication. Yeah. Tell people what we're doing, why we do it, and the importance of doing it so that when they do need to interact with us, they understand the importance of getting us. And then they're less likely to question whether it costs them $1,000 or 2000 because they know the surveyor is giving them good advice and they're protected because the surveyor is looking after not only them, but everyone else's interests. Yeah. And so surveyors who choose to, you know, try and put out the Audi priced <laughs> re-establishment of boundaries mm. are doing a, such a disservice because they're not treating the, the level of advice that we give to people with the respect that it needs. And therefore, they're actually deteriorating our standing in the community. Yeah. Um, before I ask my next question, I, I heard some um, surveyors talking the other day, talking about a company who had dropped their rates so low that it's less than what they were 10, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, and that's just crazy. Which is, Absolutely yeah. crazy. I don't know what the market's like in New South Wales, but I'm pretty sure it's similar to Victoria where... You know, it's it's still moving along, and that there's still a demand for for high qualified surveyors. Mm. And so, you know, I've heard rates for for field parties doing engineering work as low as eighty five dollars an hour, and you're going, that's just madness. Yes, absolute madness. You, they, these people are running a vehicle with a total station or a robotic. You know, all the other things they've do they they've got to do, and they're they're charging eighty five dollars yeah. an hour. Yeah, you've got your software, you've got your insurances, you, you know, yeah, it's crazy. I, I mean, I, I find it really fascinating when Surveyor General Victoria put out tenders to do survey work. Now, we, we analyse the project and we come up with an indicative price based on here in Victoria, we, we have the Consulting Surveyors Victoria price guide. Yeah. So we base it on the price guide. And when we get our responses in, half of them aren't even at the price guide. Crazy. And you go, why? It's it's a government project. Price it based on the price guide. Yeah. And be okay. And they they still go under it. And you go, I don't understand that. It, mm. You know, make the market value your service rather than dropping down to try and meet the non-professional surveyors who are trying to cut the rates yeah yeah unfortunately there's still um that there's still that that thought in people's head oh i can get it cheaper but they don't actually know what what they're getting cheaper or what they're you know not paying for 
um, in, in that yeah, sense. So, so there's a there's a really good T-shirt out there that I've seen where it says, um, you know, about about a dodgy surveyor and how ch how cheap they were apparently uh -huh. until something goes wrong. Yeah. And then they're the most expensive, cheap service you've ever got. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what you need to get out there, isn't it? Um, yeah. So talk, go, going back to getting out there, you're saying that, you know, you're trying to educate the community on, you know, what a surveyor does. How are you going about doing that? Uh, so so we're, we're doing it through a number of ways. The, f the first way is to get recognition within our department. So mm -hmm. what we're doing is every opportunity we've got to promote our work and where we get involved with a range of other people within our department, which is a very broad discipline department. We get our people out to talk to them. We write articles about what we're doing. So some of the things that we're doing is that we've been monitoring a, a site in the Gippsland that's been uh, subsiding. Right. Uh, and we've been working with the coastal protection people in the same area because they're interested in that data. So we've been analysing land that's been subsiding by anything up to five and six mils a year wow. in various places, combining that with the work that the coastal um, protection people or coastal impact people are doing, and they're finding needing sea rises of three to five mils a year. Mm. And so net effect is around about a centimetre a year. Yeah. doesn't sound like a lot, but in 50 years, that'll be a lot. So yeah. we're working with those types of people. And now that we've gone out and started to promote, not only in the department, but we've done presentations at the recent Victorian Spatial Showcase and the eSummit, we do presentations to uh, the uh, Science Week uh, DELP Symposium. And people are starting to say, this is interesting. We want to know about this. So now our team's going up along the river to do some similar sort of monitoring work where once again, they're looking at, you know, large scale movement of earth and how it impacts infrastructure and various other things. So, so that's one approach is to promote ourselves more broadly within the department. Yeah. The, the second one is then to get out and talk to the people that use our services. So the other government departments, so the, the in Victoria, the big build, the infrastructures, you know, the hospitals, the, the level crossing removals, the road, the, the rail networks, we get out and we promote our services to them. We go and talk to them about what we actually do and the benefit to them. And then getting out to the community, well, that's more difficult, but we, you know, we, we have a, a communication plan where we actively promote on LinkedIn, we promote on the other uh, platforms such as maybe Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, mm. the work that we do and the importance of it to the community. And if we, if we keep doing that, sooner or later, others are going to start doing it and we'll have a whole community going, a whole community of surveyors going out promoting their work. And that's got to be good for us. And once you start doing that, then you'll start to see more people go, well, I actually like some of the things they do. That seems interesting. Maybe I should consider that as a career. So, yeah. you know, baby steps, but we keep doing little bits and little bits and eventually they'll pay dividends for us. Yeah. So that goes back to the surveyors communicating, you know, what they do in the community as well and, and giving back a little bit and, and putting themselves out there a little bit. So what is the key to doing that? Talk in the community's language. Don't talk in surveyor speak. Mm -hmm. So with, with all of our communications, we get someone who's not a surveying professional or a spatial professional to go over all our communications and go, does it make sense to you? Oh. If not, tell us what doesn't, and then yeah. we reword it so that they understand it. Yeah. And by doing that, you, you actually give a message that people can understand instead of talking in our, you know, our acronyms and our, you know, professional speak that no one understands, they, they actually start to understand what we do and they go, oh, yeah, I can understand that. Mm. It takes time, it takes effort, but it needs to be done. It does. It takes time, it takes effort. And I think it also is... Um, a lot of surveyors I know don't like to talk. No, I've got them in my staff. So <laughs> one of the things that I do is in every one of my staff's performance 
uh, evaluation criteria is that they have to write some form of communication piece on a project they've done throughout the year. Ah. So, um, you know, if they don't do that at the end of the year, then they've not met their, their performance measures. So it's something that we just have to train ourselves to do. Yes. You know, it's going to be hard to do it the first few times. You get better at it. You find someone to do some critiquing on it, give you some advice. As I said, get, get a non-spatial person to look at the, the words and make sure it makes sense to a, a lay person or a non-surveyor. Mm. Uh, and eventually you get better at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. The more you do it or the, the more you read, the more you talk to people, the more you write things down it's going to make it easier to flow and, and, and get the message that you want to get out there. Yeah, so one of the things we're looking at is creating a, a LinkedIn site for either or for Land Use Victoria or Survey General Victoria. Part of the reason for that is that for, for us to get into the mainstream DELP communications is that whatever we're doing has to relate to a, a, a fluffy native animal a slippery native fish or, or a very flighty native bird. And, you know, we oh. don't do that very often. Yeah. Um, so so we, we have to keep putting things out there and find ways to get involved with those things to get into the mainstream DELP.com. So we keep doing it and we find things interesting enough that we, you know, we're probably getting out there twice a year at the moment. We'd like to double that. So it's just a matter of keep trying, keep creating content. And, and if, you know, if you're creating that content, put it into Position Magazine or put it into some of the other <laughs> magazines out there if, if your yeah. own company's newsletters don't want yeah. it. Then, or present it at a conference. I, I mean, you know, I love going to conferences, but people must get sick of listening to me at every event. I'd rather hear some of, some of the stories that the other surveyors are doing rather than listening to me every time there's yeah. an event. Or, or go back to, to Volker's Drop Bears. <laughs> make it interesting i don't know <laughs> exactly you know, doesn't take much i mean there's plenty of good storytellers amongst the surveyors out there that's just that they're quite happy to tell a story as long as it's not in front of a microphone yeah exactly and you know that's that's one of the main reasons that i started doing this podcast was because you know in in all the times that i've been able to go to these different um you know, things, whether it's the ISS, you know, W, you know, um, um, conferences, you know, whatever it is, you, you start talking to these surveyors and the stories that they have, you just think, oh, that is so cool. That is so amazing. Imagine if you could tell that to everybody. Well, imagine if someone just switched on their mobile phone and captured that. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get them to write it down, that's going to be difficult. But if someone's telling the story and you, you capture it, yeah, you know, ask the right thing and say, do you mind if we share this or whatever? Yeah. Do all of those things, but capture some of those stories. And so this was one of the, the topics that we haven't got to yet is the importance of surveyors being leaders. Uh -huh. So being seen, doing the presentations, writing the stories, whatever it is, get that message out, what we do and the benefit to the community. Every chance we get, tell them what we do for them. Yeah. Everyone lives in a house. The house you live in is on a, a piece of land that has a title and we have a role in defining the location and extent of that to enable our government to guarantee that land ownership for whether it's the owner, whether it's the tenant or whoever's using that land, mm -hmm. that's our role. And yeah. that's what our economy is based on is the value of land. And we just need to tell people that that's what our role is. And the more we tell them, the more people understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Um, so looking at um, some of the things that you are doing, um, I'll go on to, the digital stuff with we're talking about you know your boundaries and all that sort of stuff we in new south wales have been using eplan to 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 start submitting our our um deposited plans and things like that and it's yeah. you know it's been a very slow process um and i haven't had a lot to do i taught it for a little while um to my students and that's about as far as it got because I was not working in industry or doing any drafting or anything like that. 
but I did notice the other day on LinkedIn that you uh, put up a post about something about your digital files and submissions. So do you want to explain a bit about what, what, uh, what's going on down in Victoria? Yeah, so the ePlan process has been going for a while. The, the ICSM uh, ePlan working group, I think it started in around 2005 sort mm -hmm. of time frame. Mm. And it was designed to capture the survey as digital data. Good in concept. We, we didn't quite get it right, I don't think. And, and this is part of innovation is you've got to try things to learn. Yeah. And what, what was tried then was we had a survey plan and we tried to replicate that digitally. Well, that's what we had, so that's what we knew and that's what was created. Well, what we're finding now is that in the digital world, a lot of the elements in that plan can be captured from other places in live systems that are the authoritative source of that and we don't have to repeat it on, on a plan-like data set. So... Things like um, whether it's the surveyor's name, whether, whether it's um, the, well, it, down here, parish, the sections, um, you yeah. know, town, town names, all those sorts of things. Basically, the metadata behind a piece of land is already stored in a system somewhere. Mm -hmm. So the surveyor shouldn't be recreating that. We should be getting that from the systems that existed are the authoritative source and just reproducing that as needed for the transaction that we're doing. Yeah. And so you've got to take baby steps. And, and we tried ePlan, and ePlan is still the, a valid method for capturing digital data, but it's not been, up, not, not been taken up by the profession yeah. because of the difficulty in creating it. Yes. So New Zealand, um, Western Australia, non-territory, while this was all going on, they were doing their own thing and they're going, surveyors work in CAD, they produce their plans in CAD. So let's create a CAD format that we can collect. And so that's what they're doing. They're capturing CAD files. And so mm -hmm. when I was in the Northern Territory, I saw that and I came to Victoria and the ePlan lodgements were, we, we say less than 1%, but, you know, the, there's a zero between the decimal and the one. Um, <laughs> it, it's a very small number. And we, we've got a major initiative, the Digital Cadaster Modernisation Project, which is designed to capture the entire Victorian parcel fabric so that we no longer have to keep capturing paper plans. So we need to get digital data in. So... What do surveyors use? Most of them are using some sort of CAD. So we came up with the concept of let's get the CAD to start with. Baby mm -hmm. steps. Take the first step. Use a tool that the surveyors are highly familiar with and use every day and capture that data and figure out then how we get it into the, the e-plan. And so that's what we're doing. We're capturing a digital file that's a you know structured CAD file that gives us the ability to extract the data put it into the converter and create an e-plan out of it. And then that works with our internal system. This is exactly what New Zealand did about 10 years ago. Okay. And it's working for them. So we're trying the same thing. It buys us time and ICSM's now uh, doing the project to create a 3D cadastral survey data model. So ePlan was about a 2D data model. Now we need a 3D one. And so it buys us time to get some digital data in while we actually get the 3D data structure finalised. Mm -hmm. The good thing about the project for the 3D cadastral data model is that just about every jurisdiction is either involved in it or that they're watching it with interest because they want to adopt it. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I mean, there's there's a lot, of the thought process that, that goes in behind it. So, yeah, it's not a, you know, one-year wonder, is it? It's just something no. that you just have to keep trialling and working out. And and it, it does seem quite logical to use that CAD-type file um, to, to for surveyors to be able to submit it because I know that, you know, that when ePlan first came out in New South Wales, um, surveyors are just going, oh, I'm spending more time putting my information into a program that 
I don't need to do. I can just draw it up on my piece of paper and submit it and it's done. Um, you know, it's... Yeah. So we do need to shift that mindset a little yeah. because we're, we're a service industry. So we have to be customer focused and our customers predominantly want digital data. You know, whether it's an engineer, an architect, they now want to be able to take what we give them and put it into some sort of a digital model they're working. So, so we have to be mindful that the customer wants us to progress. And just because it's easy to draw it in paper doesn't mean that's the thing we should be doing. And that's where some of my pet peeves come from, is that just because it's something that we've done and it's easy to do doesn't mean that that's meeting our customers' requirements now. Mm. So we, we have to be mindful of what they need. We, we have to be mindful of the direction that our governments are taking us. And there's no government in Australia that doesn't have a digital strategy for delivering government service. So yeah. We have to understand that that's their focus and that we have to, you know, meet the community expectation. And 90% of the community, if they now look at spatial data, they're going to get their iPad or their tablet or <laughs> their computer and they're going to pull it up on screen so they can have a look at it. Yeah, exactly. Very few of them are going to go and buy a piece of paper to try and see where their, their parcel is. Yeah. And the benefit of working digitally, which was more difficult when we were using paper-based systems, you can have your, your boundary line work, you can bring the aerial imagery up if there's LIDAR or a DTM or a contour or whatever it is, you can pull all that up and look at it in the in the one file yes. or on the one screen yeah. and get a much better picture of your property than if you've got to look at a topo map, a cadastral survey and anything else that you've got. Mm. It, it's such an easy way of using things and that's why people want that because they get a, a much greater picture of their, their land and, and what they can do with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been working on some projects that lately where, yeah, I've had the LiDAR data, I've had the photogrammetry images that, you know, geo-reference straight into, uh, I've been using um, ArcGIS, <laughs> yep. pulling everything in, pulling in my, you know, my line files, my points, all that sort of stuff into that one program so that I can, check all of the different things all in one go instead of going oh okay um all right so this is where my line sits now can i work out where you know where that is on the uh, just pull it all in together and you've got everything there that you need it's a much better customer experience yeah and and it's it's actually easier for us as well i'm you know, I recall having to go and photocopy with transparency to try and get lines over images and a whole range of other things. What a nightmare. Whereas now you just pull it into a single application, you can see it all there. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mind you, I it is a good feeling to draw a plan <laughs> by hand. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's very your, your drafting skills are obviously much better than mine. I was quite <laughs> happy to uh, push the buttons and hit the right button and get it to print out. <laughs> well, I enjoyed doing that as well. But yeah, no, I used to enjoy, you know, doing an identification survey or something and, you know, edging the boundary in red after you've done all your black using your, your inks and then, you know, hatching the house and, and shading the pool with your, your pencils and... <laughs> I have an arty background. You can go get colouring in books for that. <laughs> well, you can get them on your iPad now, don't you? Exactly. <laughs> no, we definitely have come a very long way uh, in, or, oh, oh, I won't, I can't even remember how long I've been, 25 years? Yeah, I think I. Yeah. If you're over 25, it's too long. Don't worry about it. Just a long time is good enough. <laughs> now, we've talked about a lot of things, but one of the things on the list was place naming, and that is such yes, a passion. That, yep, that was my next one because uh, I know that that's a, a big passion of yours. Um, tell me a bit more. Well, how I look at it is that if we want to get our message across to the community of the importance of what we do, mm -hmm. place naming does it for us. Okay. Because just about every individual on every given day of the week interacts with place names. 
True. You live on a street that has a place name. You go mm -hmm. to a workplace, to a school, to a recreation facility. It doesn't matter what it is. It's located on a street or on a piece of land that often has a place name. Yeah. And so it's our ability to interact with the community, even though they don't necessarily know our role. And our role is that when we do surveys, we create those roads, we create those parcels, and we have a role in ensuring that the name that's applied to it is appropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we have national standards for place naming. Uh, we, we have localised rules for, for what a place name should and shouldn't be. Yeah. And it's one of the key legislations that surveyors need to know and understand, but most of them try to avoid it because, you know, it's, it's more of that fluffy stuff it's dealing with people it's it's subjective it's not a straight simple answer of it's you know it's this long or it's this wide or whatever it is it's more difficult to get community agreement on what a good name is and and who should be commemorated and all those things yeah. however it's absolutely vital in the work that we do and in ensuring that the community actually understand the link between a name and a place, which is really what place naming it's, is about. It's mm. linking the place to the name so that the community adopt it and go, I know where that is because it's that place name and that's where it is. And yeah. that's what place naming is about. And, the surveys and that's are what defining such the place. passion for me. Mm. So yes, um, I drag my wife out on the weekends and we drive all over the countryside and we take photos of monuments and we take photos of street signs that are, are of interesting names. Um, I found a place that's my favourite place name other than the 3000 Sandies that are yeah. in Victoria. What is um, it? There's a place in Bendigo called Jackass Flat. So <laughs> my... my uh, my wish for this year is that I can find a sign that has jackass flat on it so I can take a photo of and put it up online for interesting place names. <laughs> um, but it's such an important part of people moving around the community and we, we as surveyors just tend to, to not want to get involved in it and we should. Yeah, yeah. I think they they... They do like to stay in their own little bubble and do their own little thing and they're happy with that. Well, like, I'm not, not all of them, not all of them. Um, so but probably... we're, we're, willing, we're willing to provide advice on engineering, on town planning, on you know, <laughs> structural and a whole range of other things, but we're not willing to give advice on place naming which is one of our realms so I just find mm. that fascinating that now that there are plenty that that do and are happy to do it but there are plenty that just wipe their hand and go that's got nothing to do with me and I find that very disappointing yeah well I mean to be honest I I probably didn't see it that way not thinking that there would be such a, a big overlap you know, I know that the surveyors define, you know, where these areas are and stuff, but um, not knowing that there's that correlation between the two in that sense. So, yeah, it's another piece of spatial data. It, it's got yeah. to have a location and an extent. And and if that location and extent happens to be a point, so be it. But that, that's a location and extent. And, and that's our role to define location and extent. It's exactly mm. what we do. And, and with place naming, that's that's important for many reasons now, apart from, you know, the fact that you can't get your pizza delivered unless they know where your address is and how to find it <laughs> or anything else that you want delivered by, you know, a drone or, or mm. by those horrible scooters out there that can't drive a two-wheel vehicle to save themselves. Yeah, yeah. Do you have the drone delivery down there anywhere? Or is it only Canberra that's doing it? Um, it's certainly been discussed. I, I know there are places considering it. I'm not sure that it's it's yet hit Victoria, mm. but it's certainly something that uh, I, I know that um, there's certainly discussion on trial um, taxis that are drones and various other things. So it, it will come. Yeah. Does that scare you, having taxis that are Great opportunity for us because the one thing you know about drones is that they've got to move through 3D spaces 
And the most ideal space for all those things to move through is the roads that we already have. Mm -hmm. And we're in the best place to define those 3D spaces. So there's so many opportunities for surveyors in, in that space, defining the airspaces for drones as opposed to fixed wing planes or helicopters or whatever it is. That there's, there's just so many opportunities for us. Hmm. It's very true. All right, well. And in the world of a drone, they're not going to deliver to the doors that we typically give addresses to. Yeah. You know, they deliver to the door on a balcony or, you know, wh whatever it is, there's a whole range of things in addressing, complex addressing. That yeah, all so there's, there's your 4D or whatever yep. digital Absolutely. twin sort of stuff coming into it. Yep. Oh, there's lots to discuss, isn't there? Absolutely. Well, I think we'll leave it there today. Thank you no worries. for coming on again. It's always, I always love chatting with you. You've always got so, so many interesting things to talk about. So um, I'm sure we'll do it again. I hope, hopefully you detect that I'm somewhat passionate about surveying in our profession. Look, I think uh, everybody who has, has chosen to come and chat with me has that passion. And, and they're the people that, you know, they're the people that I, I want to have on because just listening to other people's passion within the industry. I mean, I always had that passion when I was teaching my students um, and now I don't have that. So now I have to get it talking to other people. <laughs> well, there's always people you can talk to about surveying that you can teach something. So get out there and find them. True, true. Yes, I'll, I'll have to do that. All right. Well, thank you, Craig, for joining me again. And uh, take no care. Worries. Thanks, right. Peter. Anytime. Bye. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed part two with Craig today. If so, please like, subscribe and leave a review on my channel. Now, for those that held on to the end, we had a scoop from Craig. We didn't actually get to that point. So let me throw it in here. Craig is taking on the role of ICSM Chair early this year sometime. So congratulations, Craig. What a great achievement. Stay tuned next week for my next guest, Michelle Blitzhaus, CEO at the Association of Consulting Surveyors. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.